So our guest today is Leland Sklar, studio and touring bassist for acts such as Phil Collins, Toto, and James Taylor, just to name a few. Now, his bass playing has appeared on over 2,600 albums. So even if you haven't heard of him, you've heard him. Thanks for joining us today, Leland. I'm thrilled to be here. I've been looking forward to talking to you, so uh, let's have some fun. He's yeah, been looking absolutely. forward to talking to us. Sorry. Of course. Uh, I read the he's trades. looking forward to talking to you as well. Well, I read the trades. I know who's important, and you you definitely are at the top of the uh, the apex. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. So the last year and a half has been difficult and strange for everyone, to say the least. Um, but for you, you know, you know, not being on the road for the probably the first time in a long time must have been a, a bit of an adjustment. So how are you doing, Leland? And how did you keep your sanity over the last year or so? Um, well, first off, my sanity is always questionable, so we, we can we can bypass that one right there. Let, let's see. Uh, I grew a beard. Uh, no, um, it it was one of these things that um, our band we did a thing called the Rock Legends Cruise with Roger Daltrey and Nancy Wilson from Heart and a bunch of people at the end of February of last year, mm -hmm. and um, that was the last thing that we played live as, as soon as we came off of that is when COVID struck and I was looking at uh, I, I looked at a year's worth of solid work that evaporated in an instant um, like so many people have have gone through um, but I'm a real kind of type A ADHD sort of personality and I thought what am I going to do now rather than you know I didn't look at it as just downtime and I, I kind of hunkered down and did a book um, started recording from home, uh, created a YouTube channel, um, which I've had, I've posted one video, at least one video a day, every single day since March 23rd of last year. I think today it was my 706th video, um, that I've put up. And, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's been a really an incredibly busy period now on a, on a, it's a double-edged sword because, I'm a realist about what we are as a global community going through, and I've lost a number of uh, people to COVID and um, and friends of mine that have lost businesses and home, you know, so there's that dark side, but I really wanted to really approach this as w what could plan B be? I already had plan A disappear on me, which was touring and recording. Um, so sure. it's been an incredibly productive a uh, year doing things I never expected to do, and uh, and uh, and I and now that things are opening up a bit, I've committed really deeply to all these things. So now I'm like twice as busy as I've ever been, <laughs> because I'm doing all the things that um, I would have been doing to an extent. I mean, the touring hasn't opened up like it was or anything yet, but um, but I'm just busy around the clock, and, and I'm grateful for it because I'm just not a good person with downtime. Understood. Yeah, I'd rather be I'd rather be busy than than sitting still. Yeah. So I, I get that. That makes sense to me. So in staying busy, your new album with the immediate family was released in August. And this is your second release with the group, which is a modern iteration of the section. Well, it's it's not really it, there, the fact that three of us were in the in the group, the section back in the 70s. 
um, but it's a very, very different um, group than that. It's myself and, and Russ Kunkel and Danny Korchmar and Wadi Wachtel and Steve Postel. Now, uh, Danny and Russ and I have been playing together for now going on 52 years. And, uh, and Wadi joined us a couple of years into that. So he's probably about 49 years uh, into it with us. And Postel is like the kid on the block. He's the new kid. I've, I've been working with him about 15 years. Uh, so it's uh, it's very different because this section was kind of a rock fusion instrumental group, and we are basically in our heart and soul a rock band, mm -hmm. and with vocals and and everything. And when we started this up, we we when the gigs we were doing, uh, we would tell people we were a cover band that only plays originals, <laughs> and because uh, that's really the nature of what it was. Uh, it all start this all started with Danny getting a record deal with a label in, in Japan that wanted him to do songs that he had written for with other people and for other people uh, the way he wanted to do them. Uh, like Dirty Laundry he did with Don Henley and All She Wants to Do Is Dance and Machine Gun Kelly with James Taylor. I mean, it's, so he's been involved. So we did that album for Japan and went over and toured it and then came back and realized we were just having too much fun. At that point, it was Danny Korchmar and the immediate family, which Cooch named the band because he said we were really like his immediate family. And uh, and then we signed a deal with Quarto Valley Records here in America, and, uh, and we finished our the album that came out in August. We finished before the pandemic, and it was supposed to be out in November of last year, but it wasn't really worth releasing it because there was nothing you could do to promote it or anything. Everything was locked down. So, right. uh, so it just came out. We've been releasing EPs throughout the year and doing things like acapella videos and, uh, and creating videos throughout this whole period. And now we're finally actually getting to go out in November and we're going to start touring on the West Coast and East Coast just to kind of launch things. And, uh, and, 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 uh, amongst all that, there's a great documentary movie called The Wrecking Crew that Denny Tedesco made uh, about the studio musicians of the 60s primarily, uh, of which his father was probably one of the greatest guitar players that, that, who's ever graced the studio, uh, Tommy Tedesco. And Denny's, uh, they're actually right now uh, in editing a documentary film about our group, which will be out next year. Cool. So, so there's lots of really cool stuff going on, and uh, we're you know we, we talk to each other like pretty much every couple of days. We have band meeting zooms with our management, and you know and stuff. So th things are exciting. Uh, we're we're really excited about this. With the album got really great reviews. It's a bunch of trade magazines have picked up on it and and raved about it. And we entered the Billboard Blues charts at number six. Awesome. So, oh, wow. So, so we're, we're, we're laughing to each other. So we're thinking, oh, maybe when the Grammys come, we'll get nominated for Best uh, New Artist. <laughs> after, <laughs> you know, like, after 50 plus years in the industry, yeah. that would be fantastic, though. Yeah, it would, it would be a pretty goofy thing. So we'll, we'll see what happens with it all. You know, with as That'd goofy as the world is right now, I can see that happening. Uh, we need goofy. We really yeah. do. We, we really do. If you can inject humor into your life right now, it's the best thing, I think, for everybody. Uh, absolutely agree. Yeah. So 
Uh, Leland, I'm not a musician, but I pretend to be one because I stayed at a Holiday Inn. Um, oh, Jenny, you are a musician. <laughs> exactly. But He's a I, fantastic I, I, steering I, wheel drummer. Exactly. <laughs> but I do love listening to music. It, it's it's the heart and soul of everything that I do in life. Mm-hmm. So, although I don't exa- exactly understand everything on a technical level as to what's happening or why or, or what else, uh, I, like I said, I love to listen, and I listen to just about anything I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I've noticed over the years, because I have several friends who are bass players, uh, is that bass players, t- including my cousin as well. And my husband. Yeah, your husband. You know, I used to work with a guy who was a, a bass player, um, you know, and a few other guys. But they always tend to be the butt of a lot of jokes when it comes to bands and, and things like that. But I've always seen bass players as the glue that kind of hold a band together and kind of keep the rhythm section going in the proper direction, you know, and affect the timing of the band. So in your opinion, how much control does the bass player really have over a piece of music? Without us, they're nothing. <laughs> completely useless failures. My husband's just going to snag that sound bite and use it for the rest of his life. <laughs> Um, You know, I mean, I think a lot of times we end up being sort of the brunt of things because we're generally at the back of the stage, not at the front, unless you're the Beatles or something, you know, Cream or something like that. Um, But for the most part, you know, everybody sort of equated bass players to being like Bill Wyman, that really quiet shadow at the back of the stones who just, you know, kind of held it together. Um, and that's one of the things that always appealed to me about the, about my instrument is there's a, a ton of responsibility that comes with it in terms of you are the liaison between the rhythm and the melodic side of the music. You can change one note and change the whole character of a song just by a, by a note placement. Um, and you don't have to be, you know, whipping it out at the front of the stage all the time, like the guitarists and the singers do. So you can pick your moments where you're going to maybe step forward and do something. But for the most part, I really love just being the person that's really focused on holding this uh, all together. And of course, it changes from from project to project. But um, I also love the, the frequency of bass. The first time I played, I started on upright bass, and the first time I held a bass uh, when I was 12 years old and plucked a note and felt that vibration of it, I just went, done, I'm in, you know, count me in. There it is. Yep. So so I I love it, but, you know, I've been, I've been very fortunate in my career that I've, I've worked in, in almost every genre and with all kinds of different artists and, and different, different situations. And, uh, and I, I love a challenge and they all, you know, they all present their own challenges uh, to me. And uh, so to have to dig my heels in every day and, and, and discover new things and come up with parts and stuff is, it's an adventure. And, and I really, uh, I pinch myself every day because I really appreciate it. Plus, I just like pinching myself anyhow. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's Wait, like a, win, it's a win-win. It's a good way to check and make sure you're still here. <laughs> That's right. I'm still alive. All right. (laughs) So uh, a quick question that just kind of popped in my head, speaking of music and and bass players and all that, one of my favorite bass players has always been uh, Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his work or not, but I've always loved the fact that in in every, you can always tell a DeLeo song because when, when he and Dean write a song together, there's a walking, I call it a walking bass line throughout the entirety of the song that just keeps the rhythm of the song so tightly together. 
is there a, a bass player that that really kind of shaped or or you know your look at, at music or or inspired you really to to want to reach out and continue to playing bass after you got that first vibration um yeah certainly like so many other players i know mccartney the beatles had a huge impact on me and and i i so loved especially uh kind of the mid beatles on period um the white album and and during that period revolver and yesterday today and tomorrow um paul's melodic sense and the way he approached bass i've i've, I've always loved that but I, I kind of i i really like everybody i mean i was a huge ant whistle fan and jack bruce um sure there, there's there's a tremendous amount of bass players that that I really appreciate, and and it's also kind of fun just to glean a little something from everybody, just to stick in your rolodex here, so that you've you've got it. Um, at some point, you might be working on a project, and all of a sudden, something you heard one of those people do once pops into your head, and you make your version of it. Um, so I'm I'm kind of affected by everybody that plays the instrument, from the, the simplest most you know, almost infantile playing, which can be really charming up to, you know, like the Jockos and Victor Wootens and Steve Bailey's and all these you know, monstrous, you know, great players. Um, but I, I'm more than anything, I'm a real, I'm proud to be a member of the bass community. And, uh, and I try to take full advantage of everybody else's ideas when I can. It's a pretty cool community to be a part of. Yeah, it really is. So in addition to music, you've also released a book, The Everybody Loves Me, which is kind of a bit of a coffee table book with an interesting theme to it. <laughs> well, it, 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 it truly, it, it, it's so big, it could almost be a coffee table book. I mean, a coffee table. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's six pounds and about 6,000 photographs. And it started as a, a, a total accident. Um where in 2004, when I was on a tour with Phil Collins on his uh, first final farewell tour, during that, that 2004 tour, there was talk that, that Phil was going to retire at the end of the tour. He was just, he had had it. And, I, and we were out, you know, with band and crew, we probably had about 125 people on the road, and we'd all become quite a, a family. We'd been on the road for a year at that point, and... Uh, I, I, I thought, you know, if he retires, I may never see a ton of these people again because they're from all over the world and it's the tours that bring us together. <clears throat> so I decided to just take a picture of everybody, uh, go around, take pictures and make a little folder for my memory banks. The, while I still had a memory during my life, I could go back and review it and recognize the, what, I, what this was all about. Uh, well, as luck would have it, the very first person I went up to to take a picture was a guy named Steve Winstead. His nickname was Chinner, and he was my bass tech on the tour. And he was so overqualified because I really didn't need hardly any help on, on tour. I've toured alone so much mm -hmm. that uh, he, we would joke every day. He said, what do you need? And I go, nothing. Yeah, and, and then he would go off and do other things. So he's working on his laptop, and I go up to him and I say, hey, Chinner, give me a smile. And as he's typing, all I see is, gives me the finger. And I go, wow, that's actually pretty good. So I went and I got Phil and Tony Smith, his manager, all the band, all the crew, 
truck drivers, caterers, everybody, and made my little folder of everybody, you know, <laughs> having their moment. And I put it away for a couple of years. And then I went on the road for the first, the first tour I did um, with Toto. And I thought, well, that was kind of cool on Filsing. So I got everybody on that tour to do it. And I got up to about 300 pictures. And it took on a life of its own at that point. I started getting shots everywhere you can imagine with every, everybody imaginable, both famous um, winos I would find on the street. I mean, it, it was all over the place. And it ended up with over 12,000 photographs. And, um, I, and as luck would have it, I was at a function here where I live uh, in, this, in Pasadena. And uh, there was a guy attending it um, named Richard Tr Richard Tremarchi. Uh, his nickname is Blue, but he has a company um, called Art Alliance. And I told him about all these pictures. And I said, you know, everybody's been bugging me to do a book for years of all you know this stuff. And he said, let's do it. Let's just do it. And uh, and so I, I I put all the pictures on a hard drive and gave it to him, and he spent a couple of weeks kind of going through these twelve thousand photographs, and oh, we wow. honed it, we honed it down to six thousand, and um, and then we would sit in the office and just figured out thematic things, how to assemble it all. Now, to me, it's a book of humanity. There's not like here's the celebrities, here's the the everyday sure. person. There's no names in the book, so a lot of people don't know they're looking at Art Garfunkel or Sean Penn or these people. I'm catching them in moments, but I took every picture practically in the book, and um, there's certain themes that go through it, but they're very subtle themes. But it's it's to me, there's a finite amount of ways of, of giving the finger, um, but sure. faces, but but faces are infinite. And the thing I enjoy the most when I'm looking through the book is people's faces when you've empowered them to, to, to flip you off. You know, how Charles Barkley flipped me off as compared to Jack Black. And, uh, and, and you know, it's different, slightly different gesture, but the faces are totally, you know, unique uh, unto them. And uh, so it's been, it's been a ball. It's been a hard slog with this thing, though, because I'm self-published. And I've been shipping yeah. all the books myself and stuff. And and so far, I've I, I've I think I've I've shipped out about between three thousand and thirty five hundred myself. And uh, and now I'm I'm looking for other options of getting them out there, um, you know, some d distribution places and stuff. But it's sure. it was really a labor of love. Uh, I really enjoyed. It. And the book, everybody who's gotten it went nuts over it. They said, this is the coolest thing we've ever gotten. Uh, and just uh, they're, they're sending pictures from all over the world of the book sitting in their living room on their coffee tables. And they said, yeah, everybody comes in and looks at it and they, then they can't put it down. They just you know want to keep reading and reading. And I can imagine. Very little reading. You don't have to be educated to, to see a picture of somebody flipping you off. But it, <laughs> it's, but it's, it, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. I mean, I, and there's a bunch of people in there, like Charlie Watts. I've got great shots of Charlie in there, you know. And there's so many that are gone now um, that it, it's really. I'm really so grateful that I that I've kind of immortalized them in this in this book. So, and I and then I had to create a website for it. So I was I was going to have it be LelandSklar.com. And of course, somebody owns that. Then I thought LeeSklar.com. Somebody owns that. 
So I just thought, the hell with it. I'm not going to pay somebody for my name. So we came up with LelandSklarsBeard.com. There you go. So, so the book is there. I've got. Uh, I we came up with T-shirts with my beard on the front of them. So I've got people all sending me pictures of them wearing shirts with my beard sticking down on it. Um, and plus, I was a graphic artist in college uh, all through all through. So I've got museum actually museum quality prints of drawings and paintings available and all this. So I became kind of a entrepreneur through this whole pandemic. Uh, something I never nice. thought I thought I would be doing. So that that's that, that's that that's the Cliff Notes version of a long story, <laughs> if you can believe that. We like that's long okay. stories. Long stories are our favorite. Those those always have the best answers because it's there's all these little cool details that are just kind of yeah. you know knitted yeah. in there. So not not editing at all. No, nah, we don't worry about the editing. That's somebody else's job. Okay. So, <laughs> so you worked. You worked with a ton of artists, both live and in the studio. We kind of referenced some of that. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, being a music fan, going through the list of some of the people you worked with, it was kind of like, ooh, ooh. You know, <laughs> I kind of got excited by by some of this. You know, uh, and we understand that for, you know, we've talked with a few other uh, touring artists and, and other band uh, bandmates and other things. Uh-huh. And they, they kind of treat the road less like Las Vegas. What happens on the road stays on the road. Well, to an extent. Yeah. To an extent. Right. So are there any stories that you can share with us, the funnier, the better that uh, that are able to leave the road? Oh, you know, I mean, the thing is, the the amount of stories that you would say what what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas are like maybe three percent of of what's gone on on the road. The road, for the most part, is a uh, first off, it's a hard job. Uh, from, from the get-go, you're you're leaving all the things that that are part of your life, your your family, your home, driving. I mean, there's so many things that that disappear. But the joy of walking out on stage uh, is completely overshadows those feelings at that point. Um, and like most players I know, we always say, "Look at you know, I do all the gigs for free, and I get paid to kill 20 hours a day." kind of thing because that's really the hardest part but there's been you know all kinds of crazy stuff happens on the road it runs the whole gamut from really you know difficult things like you know bus crashes and we've gone down in planes and things like that to um just um just kind of some of the silliest adventures you could you could ever imagine but most of that stuff really is only meaningful um if you were in the moment like when you sure. try to describe it, but there there were uh, on my YouTube channel one of my earlier uh, videos that I did talked about a, a family that I met in Ireland. I, I met them actually in Glasgow, Scotland, traveling to Ireland, mm-hmm. and I developed a bond with this family in 1990, and uh, it was a remarkable experience. This this mother and her three daughters and and her little boy David, who was like four at the time, and we are still in touch. And and I got together with them on the last Phil Collins tour when we when we played in Dublin, and uh, and little, little David showed up, and he's 34 years old now, <laughs> and and they still talk about this encounter that we had, and it's a major part of their lives. So there are things like that that are amazing. Or when we did, uh, I toured. Um, Brazil with James Taylor after we did the first Rock and Rio festival, 
And when we played in Sao Paulo, we played a soccer stadium. And one of James's songs at that time was Only a Dream in Rio. So it was, it was, had gotten, uh, it wasn't real dark, but it was it dusk. It was a, like a dark dusk at this point. Well, as we started playing the song, the audience were holding up lighters and they were flicking their lighters on the beat. Well, because this was like a 100,000 seat stadium with delay from the stage, you saw this wave of fire going the whole length oh, of the stadium cool. throughout the wow. song. And we were like almost crying. It was so emotional to watch this, this happen. Uh, uh, it was, it, you know, those things, or I'll tell you what, still one of my favorite things is to be on stage with Phil Collins playing in the air tonight. Because uh, the anticipation that the audience builds up for that drum fill. And it oh, is, sure. is, is, as soon as you pal- stay in the air tonight and I hear just the drums. Yeah, it's it's palpable. And as, as the tension of that song builds and builds and builds, um, I get goosebumps just talking about it. But every single time we ever did it, as that, as that would hit, and you'd suddenly see all the arms in the audience come up playing the drum fill and people back in before security being what it is now. A lot of people brought their own drumsticks, so they would be playing air drums and stuff. It's amazing. I mean, there, there's so many things that touch you. Or like on the uh, on the 2004 tour, our stage with Phil, uh, there was a ground level of it. Then we had stairs that went up both sides to a second level. And... Chester Thompson's drum kit was on one side and Phil's was on the other on the ground floor. And so the audience was used to seeing Phil always walking around the stage during the course of that song. And then he would get to step up to the drum kit just before the drum fill would hit and he would do it. Well, on this tour, we did it differently. So you could tell there was an kind of an anxiety in the audience because Phil would be singing the song and walking around. Then as the drum fills kind of was nearing, he walked upstairs to this other level. And you could see people going, he's never going to make it. He's never going to make it. Well, like an instant before the drum fill, another drum kit came up out of the floor and he stepped right into it up on the other level and played it. And then the place went completely berserk. Um, So it's, you know, it's just like, just moments like that, that are, that are really amazing, or like when I when I tour with Lyle Lovett and his large band, and you're sitting on stage with like 16 unbelievably great musicians, and it feels like a freight train on stage. It's it's just this just cranks along. So, um, and playing with Toto was amazing, and there's there's so many things. I mean, the, the, there's so many mem- great memories of so many things, and uh, a lot of it. You know, like when I've done interviews in the past, they, they, they want to hear some dirt. They want to hear, was there mud wrestling in the dressing room and, you know, all that crap. I go, man, never. I'm sure there was lots of that going down with certain groups on the road. But for us, almost everybody I've worked with is a real meat and potatoes music pros. And uh, backstage is, is real boring. Everybody's like just... You know, sitting and talking, warming up, you know, on, online at this point, you know, just emailing and, and playing Scrabble or whatever. It's uh, it's it's not as it, it, the excitement starts when that state when you step on that stage and the lights hit you, then you go, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is why I am here. That's such a cool feeling. I miss being on stage. Yeah, it's I, magic. 
I, I love the story though about uh, little David uh, and the family from from Ireland. That's that's pretty cool. About you know, you come back. Little David's thirty four now. Uh. Well, well the, one of the best parts of it was so I invited the family to our show, and and they all came and the and these three little girls they they went and they bought autograph books, and I took them around and got everybody from the band, all the crew. We filled their entire book with everybody involved on the tour. Um, oh, that's cool. But we were sitting after the show in the dressing room and they're all in there. And, uh, the, uh, Cheryl, who was our publicist asked David, she points to Phil, he's just seen the show. And, and the, the essence of this whole thing was this little boy thought I was Santa Claus. <laughs> and that's how this whole thing started. And, and, and so Cheryl looks at David and goes, do you know who that is? And points over to Phil and he goes, yeah, that's Santa's helper. <laughs> Yeah, we're almost all, we're crying at this point. It's like just <laughs> unbelievable. But it goes much deeper. And, and I tell the whole story about this on one of my videos on my YouTube channel. And uh, it's 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 deep. It's deep. That's yeah, awesome. we'll make sure that people get directed to it and the and the YouTube channel because uh, if you're not familiar by now that that Leland has a a full on YouTube channel. You need to check it out. There's some really cool videos I've been binge watching. So if you've seen a spike in your numbers, um, that's why both myself and Kathleen's husband, John, have both been doing the oh, same great. thing. So, so yeah, we've been a, having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's like almost 165,000 people on the channel now. And, uh, and, and, and it's, again, with the pandemic, this started by accident. We had just come off of... Uh, Phil's not dead yet tour, and uh, I had a couple of people write to me, and they go, "Yeah, we saw you like in Germany or or Argentina. A lot of those gigs were stadiums, and they said, you know, we we could hear, but we you know we missed some of the details in it. So I ended up having our front of house mixer send me uh, a, a board mix of one of our shows. It turned out to be a show from Adelaide, Australia." And what I did is I loaded it into my laptop, plugged in a Bose speaker into the headphone jack, and have a bass amp on the floor next to me. And, and I just mixed it so that I was playing the track from the show through the speaker. But I, I had the amp a little bit louder than the track so I could play along with each song and show the bass parts. And I, so far, I've done everything on the, uh, the channel. Everything I've done technically has been on my iPhone. And... Um, about three, and, and I started with the first song of the show and was going to run the show in order. And by the third third day and the third song, I had people writing to me going, man, we love your YouTube channel. And I'm going, what are you talking about? And they go, oh, no, that new YouTube channel you're doing. I said, I have no clue what you're even I was just putting up some videos just to, you know, show some detailed stuff. And somehow <laughs> it, it evolved into this. So now I'm like 700 and some videos into it today i i played songs i did with the doors i mean uh, every everything i've put up there is something i've played on and i either play along or i'm there are things that the magic was in the recording when we made them and for me to sit and play along with it would actually denigrate it because that's not how it should be heard and that's not the feeling that we had so right. i talk about all the people that were involved musicians producers artists studios that are long gone and i've sort of turned into mr rogers it's like 
it's a trip. It's a great, yeah, it's a great piece of musical history you've got you've got going there. There's some really cool details and and things you know about the, not only the songs you you've performed but the people you've performed with, and I I can't speak highly enough for for what I've watched. So yeah. I appreciate that. I really love it. And that's amazing. And you should do stuff that you love. That's part of that's part of the enjoyment of life is going and doing the things that you love. But you've talked about being on the road, but being off the road since the world has shut down. Yeah. You've been home all year for the first time in decades. But you've also <laughs> been married for 50 years. Yeah. So what advice do you have for me and my husband? We are celebrating our seventh wedding anniversary this December. Congratulations. When in December? The 13th. Okay, well, ours, ours is the 10th. Hey, very close. So how do you keep it going? How do you, how do you make it last? Well, I mean, the thing is, we're fortunate that we're independent people. So it's not like my wife needs me to be there every second to, to validate her life mm -hmm. kind of a thing. She has her own circle of friends and likes it. And the pandemic's been far harder on her than it's been on me because I, I can find things to be busy with, but her her real pleasure was um, being with her friends, going to the theater, going to movies, going to restaurants and all this. So it's it's been more difficult. So she spent a lot more time in downtime. And it has been slightly weird being home all this time uh, where we're used to me being gone a, a, a chunk of the year. And, uh, but, it, 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 you know, like you said, we've been together a long time, so we, we've got our, you know, we're doing fine. We haven't been at each other's throats. There's been no, you know, like, get her to her, get out of the house. I'm <laughs> driving me crazy kind of stuff. I think it's just being tolerant and, and, uh, and accepting, and, and especially during a time like this where you're really kind of in an aberrant situation compared to what you've been used to. Um, uh, you, you have to deal with it. And, uh, and, uh, you, you just have to be, uh, on your, on your wits all the time and, uh, be smart about things. But, you know, we get along great and, uh, she's, she, she knows more about Amazon plus and Netflix and stuff than I'll, I'll <laughs> ever know. She's been to watch a ton of shows and fills me in on them. And, uh, uh, and then I've been spending more evenings just kind of sitting with sh with her and the dogs watching these shows. I tend to not sleep much. I, I'm, I'm pretty much an insomniac. So I'm one of these people that's probably about three to four hours sleep a night. And so I'll end up going and working really late into the night when I've got like people have been sending me like Ian Pace, the drummer from Deep Purple, is doing a solo project. And he's been sending me tracks to put bass on for him. Mm -hmm. and, and nice. did some stuff for Julian Lennon, and I finished a couple of projects for nice. people in New Zealand. I'm doing another project for a guy in Ireland and have another song to do this afternoon for a, a producer friend of mine. So, I mean, I, I can really load a day with a ton of crap to do. And uh, and uh, so we find our own space. It's not like we're, you know, in each other's face all the time. Now, we never had kids, so our kids are the dogs. So like what you're talking about dealing with a three-year-old. So then <laughs> yeah. you've got, you, you got more, a different situation on your plate that can be most, both stressful and unbelievably great. Yeah. So I do know. have to say though, that the, your outlook on the perspective versus your wife's outlook with you're okay. You're more okay with it because you're okay with being alone and you can keep yourself busy. Yeah. 
that is so my husband. Like, he's loved this, that I don't have to go places. I'm not supposed to see people. Like, it is introvert's paradise for him. Yeah. yeah. Versus me, who I'm like, but people. <laughs> I know. I miss friends and hugs. And it's it's been harder, definitely harder on me and the, and the toddler. Yeah, hugs. Oh, virtual <laughs> hugs are fantastic, even. <laughs> But I mean, legitimately, yeah. it's been harder on me and on the toddler who's supposed to be in this social situation, whereas the past year and a half, she's been home with her mom and her dad and her grandmother. And yeah. that's it's 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 a weird different. situation because this is the socializing period of their lives to really mm-hmm. understand. I mean, I thought about that when in 1989, when Phil Collins's daughter Lily was born. Um, and it blows my mind that she just got married, you know, and stuff. And she's this really successful actress. And but when she was a baby, the first year of her life was on the road with us on the but serious tour, and she had like a hundred and fifty dads. You know, I mean, it's like she was this baby, and during the we were on the road a year, so the first year of her life was with all these people that were hugging her and playing with her and it started with her in a, in a basket and by the end of the tour the caterers had to move the coffee machines and stuff because she could stand up and reach the tip and i'm thinking the tour ended and she went home with mom and dad that was it and they were on the verge of getting a divorce at that point you know so i mean i thought jesus with the the, the thing that this poor kid must have gone through in terms of like shock yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, I'm I, I'm I can be really busy and I'm really comfortable alone. Um, I, I I can go like if my wife goes on, away, she went and visited her sister in Tucson for a week, and other than having to, I I was happy not to talk for a week, just uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, to talk to the dogs and did my stuff around the house and and worked, but. Uh, uh, everybody's treated this different. I know people that have dr- gone into like a profoundly dark, depressive period with this, started drinking, started, you know, going through a lot of misery through this. Um, and other people who are just going at some point, this will be behind us. It could have been behind us long ago, but that's a whole other thing. And I just, right. I just want to, um, I, I just want to be there when it's all done. So uh, we've been very safe and uh, and uh, and the best thing was when our band had our own bubble, and uh, once everybody was vaccinated, and we started playing together again and rehearsing and writing and going in the studio. And the thing that's crazy is we've got our new album out now, but during the course of the pandemic, we went in the studio and cut another album, which will be out next year when the okay. documentary film comes out. Yeah. So it hasn't slowed slowed down the uh, creative juices or anything like that by any means. It's just. You've had to be extra creative with your creative juices. Yeah, and everything's just a little bit different. I mean, it's it's kind of like going through a wormhole into an alternate universe, and uh, and we've just tried to make the best of it that we possibly can, and uh, and and we've really kind of maximized what was available to us. Not so much even just the time, but discovering. We're fortunate to live in a time right now, technologically, where we can do things like these Zooms right. and stuff. And the band, all the videos we've done so far this year, they were incredibly well-received. 
Um, but each of us was filming our own segments at home and then sending them to a friend of ours, Mike uh, Perlmutter, who's a really brilliant video editor. And then he was putting the videos all together. So we found a way to make this all work during a period where things were really not working. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's been a real learning process. And plus, like I said, I've, I had never recorded at home before the pandemic. I had always um, either been in a studio or if somebody wanted me to do something for them, I would have them send me files and then I would call a number of friends of mine who had really great home studios and I'd say, um, you doing anything this afternoon? You know, how about if I come over, let's throw a bass on, then I'll take you to dinner kind of okay. thing. And it was our social life. Sure. But all of a sudden, with the advent of, of, of COVID, uh, going to somebody else's house and hanging out with them was off the plate. Mm -hmm. And uh, a friend of mine contacted me and he said, uh, some friends of his, they were going to do a, a cover of Easy Lover, Phil Collins, Philip Bailey. Oh, yeah. And um, they said, we'd love for you to play on it. And I said, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm not set up to record at home. And uh, Gussie, who was going to be singing it, he he had friends at SSL, and they sent me an SSL 2 Plus interface, and I contacted Steve Postel from our band, who's a, got a studio at home, and uh, he gave me a uh, kind of a peanut gallery uh, tour through uh, GarageBand, showed me how to do it, and I've been doing tons of home recording with that and the thing that's funny is i on my one of my video channels uh one of my videos on the channel is the easy lover thing that we did and it's over a half a million um views on it so i mean it's like it's nuts and then i also got into cameo mm -hmm. now um and i've done about um 65 cameo videos for people and been sending those off and my book is now about to uh, be released as trading card nfts so i mean i'm oh, looking nice. at, i'm looking at a million options of things to do and uh I, I i'm not good at like i said at sitting around so i've got you know lots lots of i'm like the plate spinner on the old ed sullivan show and i've just got all these things in the air and i'm trying <laughs> to keep everything uh, uh, spinning and up in the air yeah. all right well, that's actually a perfect segue in, into our last question for you. Yeah. Now, with everything that you've done as a musician and everything that you've learned as a working professional, you know, even through throughout the time of, of what Kathleen and I like to call the end times of the last year, um, what is the one thing, if you could pick well, one gem, what is one thing that you would tell that kid who's just learning to play, starting a band in their, their parents' garage to kind of help them on their way? Well, first off, I think the most important thing is have fun, especially if you're starting out. I mean, just enjoy the camaraderie, the community of being with other players. Try to find other players of a, a similar caliber so that you're all kind of lifting each other. There isn't like one great player and then one terrible player and it's never gonna quite. But I think, it, I, I think the community uh, of musicians is a pretty fabulous community. So I would try to find people you like to hang with, number one, and uh, not going to get in arguments with and stuff, but play as much as you possibly can, especially if you're going to be playing out in the garage and stuff, make sure you're doing it loud enough that the neighbors are going to call the police and have them come and tell, <laughs> you, tell you to turn down because then you know you're doing something right. There you <laughs> go. Like, uh, but have fun. Have fun. This is a 
you know, regardless of where it ends up for you, I know great, great players that never got a break and, you know, never had the opportunities come along that I've been fortunate enough through what I've done to have. But, um, you know, they've gone on to other professions and they still play and they still, you know, enjoy music. And they could be anything from lawyers and doctors to dentists, you name it. They've, they've found other avenues of, of income. Um, but the passion for music never left. I like the advice of play loud enough that your neighbors call the cops. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that's that for me, that's just like every time I would get thrown in Facebook jail, I would wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. So I, I think the cops coming and saying, you know, neighbors are complaining. You got to turn down. You turn to look at the rest of the band and go, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're loud enough for a stadium that way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorite memes going around right now is uh, it says, if you haven't violated Facebook community standards, do you really know what's going on in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I find it so fascinating when I get these things that say, you know, you've gone against our community standards. And I'm going, you obviously have no standards if this is going against whatever you you guys are are thinking about here. And I'm especially uh, during the past election cycle and all that stuff, I was usually on an average, kicked off about 150 days a year. I was in Facebook jail. So I, was, I was working it good. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, Leland, we have had so much fun interviewing you today. So much fun talking to you. We would like to know where we can link for our viewers to find more about you. Obviously, your YouTube channel, because everybody should check out your YouTube channel. But what else do you have coming? Well, um, it, if they go on YouTube, just pull up my name and it'll direct them to the channel. It's just Leland Sklar. Um, for the for the book and and all that, go to LelandSklarsBeard.com. Um, I, I would love it, anybody who's listening, um, go to, also on YouTube, go to the Immediate Family site and subscribe. Hit subscribe. Don't cost nothing. And uh, we're building brand with that. We have a website, uh, the Immediate Family Band, and we're opening up now with with swag and all that. Um, on every one of my videos, there's a link uh, to my website and also to a, a thing called Flat Five, which is where my clubhouse is. And um, twice, if they join the clubhouse, um, twice a month I do about a two to two and a half hour live stream. Um, this Wednesday is that. And then once a month, I do one-on-one Skype and FaceTimes with people do about 22 people in that day, one after another, it's all individual. Um, and on, on both of the, all on that site, also in the clubhouse, there's a, um, a gift shop and there's t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and pictures and stuff. So it's a full service kind of a situation. Um, and then or, or anything else, just, you know, Google me up and uh, I, I'll show up like gum on your shoe, you know. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We'll make sure that we place those down in the episode description so everybody has a chance to uh, check out all your other works and everything else. Great. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. And we just want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do for our show to make sure that we continue to get guests like Leland Sklar here to come and have these great conversations. But please go check out his channels. Check out, of course, his personal YouTube channel, The Immediate Family, all those other things that are down in the description down below there. Uh, It's going to help not only Leland, but it's going to help us. 
Hey. It's down there. It's down there. I promise. But uh, it helps more than you guys will ever, ever know. And remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around you. It influences every part of our lives, all the decisions we make. So be sure to come back next week. We're going to have your fix waiting right here for you. Thanks again, Leland. This has been so much fun. It's an absolute pleasure. And, and give that baby a big squeeze for me. Oh, I will. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Take right, goodbye, care. everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Copyright 2023 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpodcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.